So last Sunday, um, after the morning worship service, my daughter met me in the back, and she said, did you hear what happened? I said, no. She says, Kobe Bryant just died in a helicopter crash. And I was shocked. I was stunned. I, you know, growing up in California, I was a Lakers fan, and rooted for Kobe all those years. He was with the Lakers 20 years. And then to hear that he was just getting started in his retirement years and doing all these good things and, you know, a father of four daughters. And it was like, wow, I, I was, you know, didn't know what to think. It kind of, you hear of other celebrities dying, but this one was different for me. Um, if you're a sports fan, you may have gotten why there's been such an outpouring worldwide for Kobe's death. Um, you know, we're learning more about him as we go through this. If you're not a sports fan, you may be thinking, why, why so much attention given to one person? People die all the time. You know, what is this? So I wanted to say something. This, in fact, is Kobe Bryant's, it's not his actual jersey. This is jersey I got. He was number eight for the Lakers. That's why I wore it today. I want this to be a reminder of something that, that's in Kobe's life that teaches us something about our life in Christ. Um, there's two things. There's a lot to his life to look at. Um, more than your average professional athlete. Um, but two things that really stand out that, that tie into what I wanted to preach on this morning. And first of all, his body, his, his body and his mind, those two things. Uh, they said nobody worked harder than Kobe Bryant at playing basketball. They said you cannot outwork him. He would fly into a, a, a city where he was playing a game, and he'd get off the plane and he'd go to the gym to work out. They'd have volunteer workouts, and he'd be the only guy to show up. I mean, shoot-arounds, and he'd be the only guy to show up. He'd be there before the other guys got to the gym. He'd be there after they left. Nobody outworked Kobe when it came to basketball. He worked so hard in the gym in perfecting his skills, his basketball skills. And he did it for 20 years until finally his body just wore out. And he, at the end of his career, tore his Achilles tendon, which really dampened his ability to play basketball. Um, he had to do a lot to do that with his body. He had to sacrifice friendships. He wasn't the, the guy that, that the other teammates hung around with because he was working all the time on his craft. He sacrificed time with his family. He made enemies on the basketball court. But at the end, he got what he wanted. He got five championships. He was an all-star 18 times. He, he was the, the only other man with more all-star appearances than Kobe Bryant is a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, he won an MVP. He won MVPs for the finals. I mean, he did all of this stuff. And then you look, about his, look, at, look at his mind. When we think of athletes a lot of times, we don't think of the mental approach to the game, and they, they actually have a name for his mental approach. It's called the Mamba mentality. He was known as the Black Mamba because he was so deadly on the court. That was his nickname. And he meant a mentality was which is utter, absolute focus on doing what he was supposed to do and blocking out everything else so he could arrive at his destination. And so Kobe learned all kinds of moves. He studied other players and stole their moves, and he studied footwork. In fact, my opinion, my humble opinion, he had the best footwork of any basketball player who's ever lived. His footwork was just phenomenal. Um, he talked to Michael Jordan to figure out, you know, how do you do, what do you, how, Michael, how do you do what you do? So he was always learning, always curious. He wasn't the guy who said, yeah, I got this covered, I know, but he was always trying to improve. And then when he was done with his basketball career, 
He goes off and he, he says, my next career is going to be telling stories. And so he goes into filmmaking telling stories and actually won an Academy Award for the film that he made about basketball. So he goes from the basketball court and then he goes into filmmaking and wins an Academy Award. And then he was actually, before he died, was in, he was in uh, talking to and working with another um, a great author to, to write a children's book. So Kobe just kept learning. He, kept, he never stopped. So his body, he gave his body over completely to his craft. He gave his mind over to whatever he was doing. Why did he do that? Well, he gave his body over because he wanted to be the best basketball player that ever lived. And he gave his mind over to these things because he wanted to tell stories. And so he was going to learn. In fact, I even saw a, a YouTube video of him this week. He was playing the Moonlight Sonata with a string quartet. I'm like, what? He plays the piano? He speaks like four languages? He's fluent in Italian? He speaks Spanish? He's like, learn piano? He says, I just wanted to prove to my wife I could do it. So he sat down. He learned the Moonlight Sonata and played it on a YouTube video. All that just to, just to achieve things, the body and the mind. He had this internal drive that drove him to do those types of things. Well... We have a call from God, an external motivator, to give our bodies and our minds over to God for his purposes that will, lead, that will reap long-lasting rewards. I think, of, I think of these athletes today. Either the Kansas City Chiefs or the 49ers are going to win the Super Bowl. And whoever wins, it's not going to be a tie, whoever wins is going to get a nice big Super Bowl ring. But in time, the luster and the, and the sparkle of that Super Bowl ring is going gonna, is gonna to wear off. And a lot of people are going to forget these guys, you know, 20, 30, 40 years down the road. Some people won't remember who they are. And yet God has called us to a reward with him that when we commit ourselves to it, that the shine and the sparkle and the wonder and the glory of it gets better with time. It doesn't wear off. It goes into glory. It goes into heaven for all time and new eternity. And you get to enjoy that for all time. So these last three weeks, we've we've explored how to manage different resources God has given us. How to manage our time. How to manage our treasure. How to manage our talent. And how to manage today our temple. Our body and our mind. What's kind of cool about this is that each one of us has these four resources in a unique mix. Nobody has the same mix. And you and I are called to use that to God's glory. Uh, and, to, to, and we have the responsibility of doing that. And so I want to start off, first of all, with the body. There's, there's kind of a lack of doing body and mind today. But I want you to think about the body, you know, how wonderful the body is. Some of us get upset with our bodies because we think, oh, you know what, they, it, it hurts a lot or it's, I'm overweight or whatever. But think about just the wonder of your body. The fact that you have a thumb and you can grab a fork. You know, what, what other creature on the earth has a thumb like the human race has? You know, they don't. Think about the fact that we have tear ducts that flush specks of dust out of our eye. Think about the fact that you have an immune system that's working for you every day to keep germs and viruses out of your system. And you don't even know it. Think about all the things. That, even as you're listening to my voice, the chemical reactions in your brain are just spitting like this. Millions of times things are happening as you hear and as you begin to process what I'm saying. There's stuff you don't even know what's going on, but it's happening in your body. 
Your body is a wonder. And that's not even talking about our bones or our skin or our hair. It's talking about our blood system, you know. Um, it's, it's a wonder just to, to appreciate what God has made. Phil Yancey uh, wrote a book with Paul Brandt. Paul Brandt was the leading expert on leprosy in the world. He's a British uh, surgeon and, and physician. And in this book, he's writing about the head. He says, physiologically, the whole mental process comes down to these 10 billion cells spitting irritating chemicals at each other across the synapses or gaps. The web of nerve cells defies description on depiction. One cubic millimeter, the size of a pinpoint, contains one billion connections among cells. A mere gram of brain tissue may contain as many as 400 billion synaptic junctions. As a result, each cell can communicate with every other cell at lightning speed, as if a population far larger than Earth's were linked together so that all inhabitants can talk at once. The brain's total number of connections rivals the stars and galaxies of the universe. Even in sleep, the nerve cell community never stops chattering. The brain is a turbulent cloud of electrical potentials. During each second of life, it performs about 5 trillion chemical operations each second. When we are awake, only a few reach our level of consciousness, and those so quickly that we are hardly aware of the process. I decide to write the next sentence. In a flash, my brain computes first the thoughts and then the words I will use. Then the elaborate coordination of muscles, tendons, and bones required to type the words. Before I finish typing, my brain begins composing the sentence to follow. The brain contains imagination, morality, sensuality, mathematics, memory, humor, judgment, religion, as well as an incredible catalog of facts and theories and the common sense to assign them all priority and significance. In the human head, concludes Nobel laureate Roger Sperry, there are forces within forces within forces, as in no other cubic half foot of the universe that we know. There is nothing on earth so wonderful, and yet, not, and yet nothing on earth is so fragile. One bullet may destroy it, one spill from a motorcycle, one dosage of a powerful drug can upset the delicate balance inside a brain forever. And that's what we all possess. Jeremy, can you turn me down a little bit? I'm getting some feedback. Um, so there's no machine out there. There's no car. There's no you know, space station. There's no rocket. There's no fighter jet. There's no computer that even comes close to your body. And so it's like, hey, thank God for what you've given me. This is an amazing thing that I possess. That God is, And you know what? You come to know God in your body. You don't come to know him outside of your body. It's in your body that he comes to you. And you get to know other people, and they get to know you through your body. That's how you're known. So it's a precious gift to have these bodies. Other scriptures tell us, okay, so we have these bodies, so what are we supposed to do with them? Well, in Romans 6, Paul says, Offer your bodies to God, not to sin, as an instrument of righteousness. So they're tools to be used for him. Use your body for good. Not evil. Which also means don't park your body in neutral. It's supposed to be proactive. It's supposed to be doing something. Romans 12.1 says, Offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. So give it over to him. You know, there's an old uh, Budweiser commercial that said, This Bud's for you. 
we should in the church to say, this bod's for you, God. Okay, we're giving it over to him. Ephesians 5, verses 28 and 29 says that we're to take care of our bodies. We feed it and care it. Nobody, Paul says nobody ever, you know, abused their body. He says everybody's supposed to feed and care for it. We, 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 we should do that. It's a gift. It's a temple that God's spirit lives in. And it's, it's more impressive. It's more useful than the Taj Mahal. I was talking to a guy from India. He, he moved here as a young man. And I was telling him, you know, some places that I've been to. And he says, you know, you ought to go to India. And I said, well, I've heard that's a hard place, India. I said, why should I go to India? He said, the temples, just to see the temples. And I'm sure the Taj Mahal is really impressive, but you know what? This one's a lot better because we house the living God. It actually says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. So our time doesn't belong to us. Our talent doesn't belong to us. Our treasure doesn't belong to us. And our bodies don't belong to us. All of these things have been given to us by God. And they'll be used in his service. So what can we do to shape our bodies for God? You can write this down in your notes if you want. First thing is this. Release your body to God. Let's read Romans 12, 1 together. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So it's just kind of a thing where you say, God, I surrender, I surrender myself to you. God, I give my body over to you. It's yours. Show me how you want to use it. The second thing to do is don't idolize your body. Don't make it an idol. Paul was talking about what does he do with his body? Well, he reverses it. He doesn't let it master him. He masters it. He says, no, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave. It does what I want it to do. So it's, you know, it's for serving God. It's not to be worshipped. You know, in this day and age of health clubs and physical fitness and all this, it's easy to go overboard with that stuff. Weight training to the point like you're kissing your own muscles, you know. Mm, mm, you know how guys do. They worship, idolize their own bodies. I mean, the, the point of taking care of our health is not so that people will just admire our bodies. The point is so that the body can be used in God's service. It can be a, a slave to his purposes. So, number three is this. Don't misuse your body. Don't misuse it. Let's read this together. No one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body. So our bodies were not designed to hurt people. They were not designed to damage property any more than a Rolls Royce was designed to be a wrecking ball. Rolls Royce doesn't make cars to slam them into buildings. And God didn't make our bodies to cause destruction on the earth, but to do good with them. So don't misuse it. And the last thing is this, care for it through proper rest, nutrition, and exercise. They didn't put some scriptures up there, but you know, so there's kind of a lot when it comes to like rest. You know, it's one of the Ten Commandments to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Sabbath means to stop, to cease, to rest. Every day we're supposed to rest. We're supposed to sleep. So we got, we got to get that rest in so our body can regenerate. We need to eat properly. You know, you don't want to clog your arteries with animal fat. That's all you eat is animal fat all the time. It's just wise. You know, God actually gave the Jewish people a diet. And, and they didn't know all the health benefits to it. But we do now know the health benefits to it. 
You know, there's, there's a lot to be said for what, you know, eating bottom feeders like crab. I mean, we like that in the Bay Area. But it's not the healthiest of food because they eat garbage, okay? You know, God's telling his people, this is the way you should eat to honor me, you know? Pig isn't as, as you know, healthy, so don't eat it. Um, anyway, and then we need, and we need to use our body to stress it a little bit. We have muscle, and we have this circulatory system that needs to be challenged. You know, we live in kind of a weird time because most of us, you know, we, we're so mechanized. So we have bikes, and we have motorcycles, and we have cars, and we have all these things that get us everywhere. We have machines to do all of our work, to wash our clothes, and to wash our dishes. You know, and, and think about the old days. How did they do all that stuff? You want to get from point A to point B? Walk. Walk. That's how you're going to get there. Now we, every, we're, we're so, we got our watches. How many steps did you get in today? I'm trying to get 10,000 steps. They didn't have to even think about that back then. But that's all they did was walk. Everywhere. You want to wash the clothes? Go down to the river, honey. You're going to wash the clothes and beat them against the rock. And you're going to pull them all back. I mean, there are people today, you know, you, you hear those in third world countries. They, they need water. Oh, you've got to walk two miles to go get your water. There's your exercise. We've got to look at, hey, we've got some things in our society that are, that, that are adversely affecting our health. And that's why we have to have gyms. You know, my Uncle Bobby was a farmer, my, my mom's oldest brother. He was him and then three, three sisters. And uh, Bobby, because uh, well, my grandparents divorced when they were pretty young, he started working the farm. This is in Canby, Minnesota. When he was like in his teens, and he, I think he worked that farm for probably over 50 years. Two, three hundred acres, dairy cows, you know, corn, uh, beans. We go back there, and I saw him work. And I'll tell you what, Bobby did not need a gym. The farm was his gym. In fact, the farm made the gym look like a spa. You go back on the farm, I remember four boys, me and my brother and two cousins. He says, go up, you guys, boys, get up there in the the hayloft, and I want you to move the bales of hay. I'm going to put them on the conveyor belt. You take the bales of hay, and you stack them at the back of the the barn. And we're like junior hires, okay, okay. We climb up there, we get up in the barn, and we can't move those things. So we're just kind of, ooh, stepping them out of the side. And Bobby's like, Uncle Bobby's like, ugh turns the conveyor belt off, climbs up the conveyor belt, and takes every one of those by himself to the back of the barn. He had big forearms, you know. And I remember, what I remember about him, one of the things I loved about the farm was that we, we, would, we ate so much. We had four meals a day. Because he worked so hard, he had to be eating all the time. That's just life in a different world. And so we need, well, since most of us don't have farms, <laughs> I don't think any of us have farms, we got to find a way. What do we do with our body that will make it healthy? What can we do? So take care of it through rest, nutrition, and exercise. Very important. But the most important thing, I say, first of all, is just give it over. Just release it. God, this, this is yours. This is yours. Now let's go to the mind. Our minds are located in our bodies. It literally is the brains of the whole operation. And when it goes bad, things go really bad. When our minds go bad. Uh, this, this passage, I, I would encourage you to, you know, certain passages in the scripture are more uh, key than others. And I would encourage you to get familiar with certain passages. This is one of them because it explains so much of our world. But this talks about what happens when a people do not worship and thank God. What is the outcome 
of ignoring God and instead of worshiping idols. And, and this Romans 1 passage just lays it out. And this is what it says. This is Romans 1, verse 20. It's verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God. So they could have seen him in creation. They could have seen, experienced him in their conscience. They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay, so their minds go dark. I'm going to skip over here and go to uh, verse 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. So the thinking is going down, okay? The mind is being shadowed. It's going dark. It's going foggy. So that they do what ought not to be done. So because they're not thinking clearly, we don't think clearly when we're in that fog. You just don't know where to go. I was running the other morning in a fog, and it was like this is the darkest darkness I've ever experienced on a run. I had a headlamp on, and I could not see the ground. I could not see anything in front of me. I could not see anything. I was like in a box of blackness, and I'm just like going, ugh. I just like kind of froze and slowed down. I go, it is so, I mean, when you do not, when it is dark, you have no idea what you're doing. And you are bound for a crash. You're going to run into something. And so that's what's happening here. When the, when the mind goes dark, this is what Paul says. Watch this, verse 29. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decrees that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. You kind of get the idea that when the mind goes dark, we go into a tailspin. If our minds are depraved, our thinking is futile, it, can, it corrupts human life at every level. So caring for our minds is extremely important. I think our lack of attention to mental health is it's corrupting, um, it's, it's increasing the anxiety and the depression and the unhappiness in people's lives today. I'm seeing problems with young people that were far less severe with my peers in this generation. And it's like, you know what, folks, we really need to start thinking because we are, just as, just as the mechanized world around us has hurt our health in a lot of ways, so the um, computerized social media world is, is damaging our brains. And we do need to do some serious work to, to reconsider how are we going to handle the, these technological advances in our lives? Because if they are damaging us mentally and intellectually, we need to make some changes. We need to say, ho, ho, wait, no, no. It's like, just like somebody needs them to push away from the table. I'm not going to eat. We need to do the same thing with some of these things that are in our lives. This is a book called The Social Church. Some researchers have done studies, and they've compared the Victorian era to our era today. And they concluded the Victorian era was marked by an explosion of innovation and genius per capita rates of which appear to have declined subsequently. The presence of 
whatever this is, dysgenic fertility for IQ amongst Western nations starting in the 19th century suggests that these trends might be related to declining IQ. This is because high IQ people are more productive and more creative. We tested the hypothesis that the Victorians were cleverer than modern populations using high-quality instruments, namely measure of simple visual reaction time in a meta-analytic study. Sorry for that. In short, the author says, we're getting dumber. Our collective IQ is dropping by an average of 0.14 points per year, or 14.1 points in the last century. This means that the good old folks of Downton Abbey don't just sound smarter than you, they are smarter than you. IQ, these guys are saying, is declining. He goes on to say, talk about his experience in taking biblical Greek and how hard it was, the hardest academic class he says I've ever taken. He says there were days I felt like crying. And then his teacher said one day, he came in, he said, um, I've been reviewing our book with some of my colleagues and I'm afraid it's too simple. After researching, I found out the material in this book is at the same reading level of the books they used to teach Greek to sixth graders in the 1920s. Can you believe that? He said the class had a discussion, and they all agreed. They traced their collective lack of mental prowess to one thing, the Internet. Think about it. How many phone numbers can you rattle off from memory anymore? We're overly connected and yet more disconnected than ever. Can we truly know something if we're simply entering a question into a search engine and mindlessly consuming the results given to us again? Interesting. That's something that we really need to pay attention to. The Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think God thoughts. Input truth into your brain. Hold it before your mind, and it will change your shape. It will change your soul into someone who begins to look more and more like Jesus. You know, the good news is they've actually done another study, and, they, and, and just briefly, they said they studied the effect of people who never meditated before, especially meditated on Scripture. You know what they found? So they had these people, this test group, meditate on Scripture. And while they're meditating... They monitored their brains, and they said what happened was in their brain, in the part that controls the compassion part of our personality, it grew as they meditated on Scripture. And the part that contained, controlled the connection part also grew. So compassion and connection grew as people meditated on Scripture. That whole thing about what you do in your physical environment affects you spiritually. It really does. In finances, it does. And what we think about, it does. So what can we do for our minds, to shape our minds for God? Number one, again, this is similar to, sh- to our bodies, surrender to the Spirit. Let's read this together. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. And then it goes on to say in verse 6, the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. God's Spirit moves our minds to want what God wants. And that brings life. It's not just about our effort, but cooperating with the Spirit of God within us. So that's the first thing. Just, you know, again, give your life over to the Spirit. 
give your mind over to the Spirit. God, move me, direct me. You know, I hope you, I was uh, talking to someone recently, and they had this movement. They said that God was just telling them, prompting them, share with this person. I mean, God works in our thoughts. And, he, you know, he does. He prompts, he moves. So be surrendered to the Spirit. Number two, study the Word of God. Psalm 119.11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So hide it. Meditate on it. Study it. Get the, get the information into your, into your soul. Give your brain premium fuel. Something to work with. I mean, I, I'm using this guy as a, a, not an example to follow. It's a sad example. I, I'm, I'm getting acquainted with a man in his 90s who's dying of cancer. And I recently went over to talk to him, and he's got quite a life. He's been a, a Korean War veteran. He's seen some rough things. A very active guy in his younger years, building houses and fishing and hunting. And, and, uh, and as he's getting close to dying, I, I thought, man, I, I, I want to share with him hope, you know. And so I asked him, you know, you think, about, you think about dying and life beyond that? And a little bit, and I said, would you like to know anything about heaven? He said, no, no, I wouldn't. I'm not a religious guy. He says, where I grew up, we didn't have any churches. So I'm really not interested in that. Think about it. That's like really important information. This is about a person's eternity, and they don't want the information. That's so key that we know the facts, and we get those in place so we know what kind of decisions to make, where to put our faith. We need to study the Word of God. We need to have that input. Then we need to do this. We need to, number three, think about what's true and good. So we get the information in, downloaded inside of us, and then we need to think. We need to assign it value. We need to see what's important and what's not as important. We need to see the connecting points. We need to think. Let's read this together. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely... Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about it. That is the activity of searching out what's true in the light of given facts. You can do that on your own. You can do that in groups. You need to pull all that information together to see how truths are interconnected and what's more important. Even today, if I were to ask you, what's more important in giving over to God, your body or your mind? Which would be more important to you? Body, mind. Body, mind. I would go, yeah, you've got to have both. You can't, but let's see. Hmm. I go with the mind. If the mind is not working, the body shuts down. Right? You know, the body function, the, the body can't work. The heart can't work. There's no circulation. Everything, all the signals and communication stop when the brain stops functioning. And so, the mind, we got to like, okay, if I, if I do attend to one thing, I really, I'm going to spend more effort on my, on my mind, my mental approach to life, than my physical approach to life. Yeah, we got we to you know, put all this stuff together. I'll give you an example. I was over at my uh, neighbor's house, these kids that I've told you about, and there were five children there, ages like 6 to 11 years old. Three brothers and sisters and two of their first cousins. And I went over there to share. They asked me to come over uh, Wednesday night and said, okay, I'll come over. And I had to think, okay, where are we in the story? I'm taking them from the garden all the way to Jesus. So I got the story in my mind. This is the story I'm going to tell them tonight. I go over there, and I'm, like, I'm trying to get into the story, and I can't because they're just asking me all these questions. 
bam, 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 bam. Like, but, but, you know, I'm thinking, well, what about, yeah, what about Samson? Remember that thing about Samson? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what about the giant? Yeah, uh, how tall was he again? Yeah, he was like 10 feet tall. He hit his head on a, on a basketball rim if you walked under it. Yeah, and, and uh, what, you know, and what about the end of the world? I'm kind of, you know, what am I going to do about the end of the world? And uh, I said, well, you need to be ready. And, uh, and, then, and then they got their little picture Bible that I gave them. They brought it over and they had a picture of Jesus dying on the cross. Well, yeah, dying on that, that. How do you die on a cross? What do you die of when you die on a cross? He said, why did he die on the cross? Well, he died for sin. And then he was raised from the dead. Remember, he's right, yeah. And then, and then one kid said, I don't, believe there are, I don't believe Satan's real. I said, oh, remember that story I told you at Halloween? I told him a scary story, the Gardnerine demoniac. I thought, you guys want to hear a scary story? I said, remember that scary story? Yeah, those demons? There are thousands of them. They came out in that herd of pigs, 2,000 pigs, and they ran into the Sea of Galilee and all drowned. All those pig bodies floating around them. Ooh, wouldn't that have been gross? And so we're talking about all this stuff. And then one, the little guy, I love this one little guy. He just says, I, he says you know what, I think, I think God's going to take Satan back. And so think about this. Now we're talking about thinking. He's got his facts right. There's a God and there's a Satan. That's a fact. What he doesn't have right is thinking about their relationship. I said, actually, no, he's not going to take Satan back. Actually, Satan's going to be thrown in the pit of fire. That's where he's going. He's not, he's not going to get any help. And he's like, okay. That's the kind of stuff that we need to do. We get the facts downloaded in our head, then we need to put them together correctly so we know how to act, so we know how to, what kind of choices to make, to what to believe, um, to think what's true. Last thing about our minds is to recognize what's false and recognize what's dark. So it's putting in the good and keeping out the bad. It's kind of like our skin. Our skin is there to keep out germs, and it's also there to keep in the good stuff. Right? Your organs, your blood, it keeps it in. It's all contained. And with our minds, we're taking in the good stuff, the truth, the word of God, and we're also keeping out the bad stuff. So let's read this. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I'll give you an example this week. I had a thought come in that was a curse. And I went, no, that, that's not me. I reject that. I'm not going to curse people. I'm going to bless. And so I started blessing. It's like that is from the pit of hell, cursing. God's kingdom is about blessing not cursing. And so we use our mind to take captive those errant thoughts as uh, Ron was sharing in Sunday school. <laughs> I was thinking about the same thing today. It's, I think Martin Luther said this. He says, you, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. And so when you have these thoughts flying all around, you can't keep those thoughts from flying around, but you can keep them from finding a place inside your gray matter. Where you say, I reject that in Jesus' name. I renounce that in Jesus' name. I'll flip that around. Instead of cursing, I will be blessing. And we need to be active and proactive in dealing with that stuff. And so I, wanna, I just want to close this morning with uh, just giving you an opportunity to say, Hey, you know what? I, I need to just give something to... Uh, I want to really give something over to God this morning. Uh, Peter, would you come on up? You know, they say the, the, the one verse says, offer your body as a living sacrifice. Okay, so where did the Jews usually offer sacrifices, animal sacrifices? On an altar, right? They come and they put the animal on the, on the altar, and then the priest would kill 
the animal and the blood would pour out. And that blood would cover the sins of the person. Well, God says, well, don't, not today. You don't have to do that under the new covenant. No more animal sacrifice. That's all been taken care of. But we can offer our bodies on the sacrifice, on the altar. And you might be saying, you know, like sometimes I think, where could I do better in my mind? Um, where could I do better with my, my body? Have I made that point, that pl- come to that place in my life where I've just offered my body over to him and said, God, it's yours. It's yours. Show me how to use it. Let it, let it be used for your, your purposes. Um, or to say in your mind, God, would you, I, wanna, I want you to fill me. I want you to be in my mind and in my thoughts. Help me, God, to, help me, God, to um, meditate on your word, to input, download the right information, to think about the right things, you know. Sometimes for me it's tweaking. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch TV less in the evening, and I'm going to read more before I go to bed. Or before I climb in that bed tonight, I'm going to get down on my knees and I'm going to pray. I'm going to start, I'm going to be aware of those types of things. Maybe you think, I need to tweak something in my, in my life. And I want to invite you to just come to the altar as a living sacrifice and say, God, I give myself over to you this morning in this particular area. Whatever it is that he may be speaking to you, if you feel that impression from the Spirit today, I invite you to do that. So let's stand, and Peter's going to lead us in a song. And if you feel led to come, please come and pray. We'll do that. Jesus paid it all, all to Him my hope. Sin had left a crimson stain, He washed it white as snow. Jesus paid it all, all to Him my hope. Sin. And stain he washed it white as snow. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. And Father, we want to thank you for giving us your son. Jesus for paying it all for us. You laid it down. Um, Thank you for giving us the life that we have. For the gifts of our time and our talent, our treasure, our temple. Father, it's, it's awesome to think that these bodies house the spirit of the living God. That's that's mind boggling. And we are just so grateful that we are your temple today. And we want you, Father, to live alive inside of us, in our bodies and our minds. We want to know that life and peace. We want you to take us to, to being useful in your hands for what you have for us. And God, not to hold back. And so we come today and we pray that you would fill us as we surrender. You, you know what, what each, where each one of us struggles, where the challenge is, where the touch point is. And I, I pray that you come and meet us there and that you take us to new places as we give ourselves over. If you're up here praying at the altar, just feel free to stay here this morning just to finish what you need to finish in praying.
God, I pray that, that as we give ourselves over, that we would be able to test and approve what your will is, your good, pleasing, and perfect will. We would just know. We wouldn't live in a fog in that dark place. That your light would flood us. That we would be free of anxiety. We'd be free of worry. We'd have a certainty and assurance that you're with us. God, that we would have a a sense of our value and worth. We'd recognize that. So go with us, Lord, as we step into this week. Help us to hear your voice. Help, Help us to sense those promptings. Help us to think new, high powered thoughts. Help us to be able to understand, put things together to connect the dots with your word and your truth um, and to understand the life that you have for us to live. I'll go with us. Let your face shine on us and grant us your peace, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. amen.